You know, I'd work on my self-development an hour to three hours every day, whether it was reading or it was physical exercise. I was doing some sort of mental or physical development on myself every day. I was also researching flat out, started to really, you know, broaden my mind and see what I could really achieve and what I could find out about this brain that we have. My little calisthenics journey amplified here on the Gold Coast. And I feel like, you know, the product of your environment come into play. And I started to surround myself with these phenomenal athletes that were had the same mindset as myself. We just built together. We started training together every single day. I started to really, you know, grow, you know, in all aspects, like socially, physically and mentally. And our athleticism was just going through the roof with these people. That's Jack Wilson. And this is The Proof Podcast. Plant friends, Simon Hill here, host of the Plant Proof Podcast. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. It's great to have you here again. If you are a first-time listener, thank you for joining us and I really hope you enjoy the show. Today's episode, I sit down with Jack Wilson, otherwise known as the Deadly Ninja Warrior. Jack has taken Australia by storm with his phenomenal athleticism and strength that he's displayed on Ninja Warrior a primetime TV show, coupled with his powerful message about supporting the Indigenous community and in particular, being a role model for young Aboriginal kids. Jack's success hasn't come without a fight, having dropped out of school at age 15 and quickly finding himself hanging out with a crowd that enjoyed alcohol and drugs. It took Jack six years to realise he needed to make significant changes to become the man he aspired to be. A man that sees the positive in everything, embraces his heritage, is inspired to succeed, and lives a life of good vibes. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, 
is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Jack Wilson, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Simon, thanks for having me, brother. This is amazing. I've got a great view in front of me of Burley Beach. Yeah, I've, I've given you the better, <laughs> the better view for the, uh, for the podcast, mate. We're, um, we're both from, from Bondi, but here we are in Burley Heads recording this episode. Yeah, it was uh, pretty ironic that we we're here at the same time, so looks like we're getting amongst it. Now, before we get into your story, there's been some murmurs, some not really rumors, but I've, I've heard a few things about this uh, GVC. Can, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can, you, uh, can you shed some light on what the, the Good Vibe Club is and, and, and what it's all about? Yeah, the GVC, that's, that's gaining traction fast, <laughs> substantially, and I'm really liking that. The GVC is just something that, you know, me and a few friends come up with, you know, as we hang out day to day, training sessions, having a feed. And uh, we always try and bring a good vibe. And then, you know, we were sitting around a round table and he said, is this the good vibes club? <laughs> and off it went. <laughs> and the rest is history. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's gaining traction. So I look forward to seeing uh, where that goes to. Now, um, as I said, you're living in Bondi now. And no doubt the, the listeners, definitely the Australian listeners, have seen you on TV and the phenomenal stuff mm-hmm. that you can do physically and, and all the stuff with Ninja Warrior. Yep, of course. Yep. And if, if you're an international listener, you may not have seen all of that, but you can jump on YouTube and there is videos with millions of views of Jack doing his thing and his strength and agility is, is pretty phenomenal. But what I want to know is how you got to there. And, and so if we, if we jump back before Bondi as a kid, where, where did you grow up? What was your heritage or what is your heritage and what was life like for you as a youngster? Yeah, well, that's it, mate. Uh, I think, you know, everybody sees the full staircase and they see the pearly gates at the top. It's all about the each step to get to that point. And I'm glad you asked me that question because I believe that uh, where we come from is important. People need to, you know, really, really get down to the nitty gritty and find out, you know, their heritage and nationality. So born and bred in Cairns, Cairns, far north Queensland boy at the uh, tip of, not so much the tip of Queensland, Australia, but uh, it's life in the tropics up there. Aboriginal man, proud Calcadoon man from Mount Isa. So that is the outback Australia. Are the crocodiles up there? No, there's no, no crocs out that way. Okay. Oh, actually, there's a few crocs, freshwater crocs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not actually on the coast. It's uh, it's inland. Yeah. There's a few freshwater dams out there. So yeah, yeah, be careful. <laughs> yeah, jump out in the lake. But, you know, you get big barramundis and yeah. you know, big eels and all that out that way. Right in amongst the nature up there. Oh, brother, that's God's country out there. Mm-hmm. Red dirt, you know, dry country, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what Australia's all about. The outback kangaroos, goannas, emus, you know, the lot. And those animals are on the Australian coat of arms, obviously, you know, and that's what represents us. And uh, my mother's side's Welsh and English, you know, from the UK, so... Very diverse background, which I'm very proud of. I'm the youngest of three boys as well, so I was I was actually a chubby kid also. So I did cop a lot of you know uh, terror, and the boys you know give me a bit of a touch up. Two older brothers, yeah, <laughs> keep you in line. Same same as me. I'm the younger brother as well. Makes makes you strong though. <laughs> hey brother, that's why we are here today. To them boys are looking up to us. Yeah. Now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you you mentioned the indigenous part of your your heritage. And, you know, there are sort of international listeners. Can you, can you sort of explain a little bit more about that and the Indigenous culture? Yeah, of course. So um, Indigenous means native people of their country. So there's Indigenous people across the whole world. And the Indigenous people of Australia, you know, the First Nations people, uh, they call them the Aboriginals. But th- th- that's two different uh, aspects there. So an Aboriginal is the original and then the Indigenous person is a native person of that country. So we have Aboriginal people and the Torres Strait Islander people. And the Torres Strait Islanders are from just above Queensland to tip the islands up that way. So, uh, yeah, been around for 60-plus thousand years. You know, these people Incredible. were, you know, walking these earths before, you know, the Westerners come over and, you know, they lived 
here with no no society. You know, they lived off the land. You know, wholesome food. Yeah, the culture's very powerful. So you, your your father, my father, were, both, yep. were his both his parents indigenous. His father was a Kalkadoon man, so yep. he he was Aboriginal, and his mother was Chinese. Okay, and he your father grew up in Queensland as well. Yeah, he grew up in Mount Isa, out back Australia. He was actually born in Cloncurry. Okay. So Conclare is a little town just outside of Mount Isa, you know, a little homestead, you know, not even, not, not more than 10 to 20 streets in this, this little town. So wow. he'd have a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting stories throughout yeah. his childhood. Yeah. He's a man of many words, but you know, he's, <laughs> you can tell that, you know, there was a bit of history back then. And I think that's something that's very close to my heart. Yeah. My I can, I can see, I mean, everyone all in Australia can see how proud you are of that heritage, which we're going to going to get into towards the the middle or end of the episode with regards to what you're doing in the community. But growing up, you know, you you said you were a chubby kid. Yeah. But what were your hobbies and interests? Were you interested in health or exercise? You know, what did you get up to? Well, I always tell everybody, you know, I'm very grateful and I'm very fortunate to even have a, you know, a family and a mother and father, of course, especially role models in my life. You know, my older brother's and I was immersed in sports as well. So we played football. We played like touch football. I was tag, played, you know, a um, bit of cricket at school. And we, I'd done a lot of athletics as well, like cross country, track and field and whatnot. And, you know, not many people are so fortunate. So I'm pretty, pretty glad that I grew up with those visuals and those people to look up to. So I was actually a, a really great cross country runner growing up. Like I could just run, man. I could just run. And I was, as I said, I was a chubby kid. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could leg it. I could move. Wow. And it was just something that was in my genes, I believe. You know, I think that goes back to the heritage as well, being, you know, hunters and gatherers of my people. And, you know, they had to walk the lands for their food and gather their water and all that. So I believe strongly within that. But, uh, you know, the older brothers played football as well. So I had them around at all times and I was immersed in football at a young age, about 10 years old. So I played team sports, which was, which was awesome. You know, I loved to get out and kick the football around and I loved to defend and tackle and run the ball. So that was great. And I think that's where it all started, you know, having, having those role models and that sort of had my love for, for sports. So I'd watch NRL. A bit of competitiveness. Yeah, a bit of competitiveness. Look forward to on the weekend have the game, you know, go to training, you know, uh, do the protocols throughout the week. like Build up your skills. and Yeah, build up the skills, have something to look forward to. So that was the main part of, you know, why I've got a bit of athleticism yeah. about me. And w- were, you, were you sort of embracing that Indigenous part of your background as a, as a teenager as well? And, you know, like from a ceremony or just even talking about it? Well, point of view? to be honest with you, Simon, not really. That was something that wasn't really strong as a young fella. Being a, a light-skinned Indigenous man, you know, hence having the Welsh and the English in my family, my father's black and my mother's white, that's something that I struggled with was my identity. And I didn't really grow up around a really cultural uh, environment, you know. So that was something that I, um, you know, didn't really know my identity. I did at home, you know, because I was immersed with family and I was told I was Aboriginal and mm. then I go to school and the kids would say, you know, you're white. Yeah. Like you're, you know, you're white, you're not Aboriginal. So that was something I did struggle with, mate. And, you know, that really hurts. That really did hurt. And, he- you know, heading, heading through sort of the later parts of, I guess, high school, what did you have your eyes set on? Did you see yourself becoming a bit of a, a leader, a role model or you know, I think you're a carpenter, right? Carpenter you, by trade, yeah. Is that was that your passion pretty early on? No, nah, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I was actually a rat bag at school. Didn't really take it seriously. Just done it for the boys. You know, I was there just for the Lad. for the laughs and <laughs> you know for the food fights and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> and the sports, obviously, you know, the PE classes, getting to run around on the on the tracks. But you know, I left school at 15 years old. You know, I was a high school dropout. Didn't enjoy it. And I was chucked straight into a trade, which was boiler making. So I was actually a, a welder to start with, straight into the real man's world, you know, as a young fella. And I think that was the, the mindset of our, our parents was to get into just a job, security, bit of security and didn't want to do it, but I had to, had to make my own money and had to live. 
and uh, that was that went on for about a year or two. I was a I was an apprentice. Sort of turning up every day. Were you sort of dreading it, or were you enjoying it, learning something new, or mm. what was your headspace like at that time? Oh, mate. Well, that's when it all the the partying kicked into play. Okay. You know, fifteen years old. You know, turning sixteen this year, but um, you know, out in the real world, coming across a few temptations and hanging around, you know, the wrong crowds, and then you're going out late at night, spending the weekends away. You know, girls partying and. I think the people at home can probably imagine what comes next, but, you know, alcohol and drugs also. So I was sort of going down the wrong path, which was killing my passion yeah, for wow. sports. And that was at the age of 15. Yeah, that's early. right. Early, man. So early. Yeah. And, and you, you know, I'm presuming, but most 15-year-olds are pretty impressionable at that time, you know, like they can easily be led astray. Of course. You know, you're a product of your environment and, you know, monkey see, monkey do. And if the boys are doing it, you're, you're following. Yeah. And you sort of follow in the suit of your circle. So you got involved in that. How, how much did that sort of uh, impact your life and, and sort of take you away? You said it took you away from your passion for yeah. running. It impacted it a, a lot because I was waking up on a Monday morning and, you know, even on a Tuesday and a Wednesday upset and not wanting to go to work for I don't know what reason. So at that point, I was thinking that I just didn't like the job, but maybe it was my lifestyle choices that were playing a big part in that. So that led to me, you know, not going to work, you know, staying at home, being, I wouldn't say depressed, but like unhappy, you know, not, you know, quitting jobs, in and out of jobs, you know, and uh, felt, felt different to, you know, when you were younger and happy. Exactly. Doing sport. Yeah. It felt out of character. And I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. But not knowing what life was about, you know, not knowing that drugs and alcohol make you feel these, you know, these, these ways. Mm. So how did you how did you sort of put an end to I guess that part of your life and those sort of behaviors and and turn the corner there? Well, I suppose that well that to be honest with you that went on for about 5 years straight. Is that pretty sort of rife up in in that in that area of Queensland like is there a strong culture of of alcohol and drugs in in the youngsters? It is nowadays, yeah, and I feel like it has been going on for a little while and I'm not going to single North Queensland out, but, you know, it's been happening a lot across the nation uh, where I've been traveling and it's a, it's a big issue in our community. It's very confronting to see because the kids are getting younger as well. And I'm working in this space now and the shoe's on the other foot now and I've, I've been there and I've done it and I'm seeing it quite often. And that's, I mean, that's what's so special about turning the life around. I'm getting to, to get to these kids before they can be in front of path. Yeah. Be in that wrong path or come to that temptation. And, uh, yeah, back to the time when I was, when I was getting, you know, involved, it went on for six years till I was 21 years old. And I actually transitioned to a carpenter at this time because I love the outdoors. I quit the boiler making job and I started to think, well, I love the outdoors. You know, I love being out outside. I love the sun. I love the environment. I love the, the natural elements. And the closest thing I could think of was being a carpenter and building houses. So I actually done a trade. That on, it went on until I was 21. Then I got picked up to go to New York with Rob DiCostella. I don't know if you've heard of Rob. So Rob DiCostella is uh, an Australian icon, Australian legend. He's run marathons for our country back in, the, back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. He's a retired man now. But through his legacy, he started a program organization called the Indigenous Marathon Project, where he selects 12 Indigenous people, six men, six women, to go to New York and run the marathon to raise awareness oh, wow. for our health. How, how did he find you? How did you sort of put your hand up for that? My dad found the write-up in the Koori Mail. So the Koori Mail is an Aboriginal mail. Yeah. Have you heard of it? I've, well, I haven't heard of that, that particular paper, no. Yeah, so it's a particular paper in New South Wales called the Koori. I've Mail. heard of the word Koori. Can you, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so you've got different tribes throughout Australia and the New South Wales Aboriginal people, their tribe is the Koori. Okay. Well, there's different nations, but the New South Wales are called the Kooris and then the Queensland are called the Murrays. Oh. Then you've got Western Australian Aboriginal people, they're called the Noongars and so on and so yeah. forth. There's, there's so many. So many different nations. So your dad saw this article and he immediately thought, well, Jack, Jack can run. 
he saw this article and he was always up my, you know, up my bum for, you know, getting amongst it, getting amongst sport and health. And he sort of, you know, said, Jack, look at this right up in the paper here. This guy's taken, you know, Aboriginal people to New York to run this marathon. And I had a look at it and I thought, yeah, this looks really good. Like I need a change. I'm, I'm not the person I was and I'm not the person that I want to be right now. I, I, I want to inspire people and my passion for sport is just, you know, out of this world and it's something that I love and I do every single day of my life. And I was getting dragged away from that, from things that I didn't really enjoy. So I applied for it and I made the cut. And uh, about 200 people get to apply for it each year. Did you need to do any sort of uh, running or submit a time or was it just based on who you were and your character? No, no, you, you needed to do a time trial. Yeah, yeah. You needed to do a five-kilometer run. Yeah. And then they had to do an interview after it, you know, asking you your name, where you're from, what your story is, what your values are. A lot of questions like uh, what pushes you when you want to give up? What do you want to be? Like what image do you want? So all these, got you thinking. Yeah. Yeah. All these questions where I had to just really sit back and just go, hang on. And you probably hadn't thought much like that for, for those six years. No, not at all. And that really just opened my mind up again and it really made me realize like, wow, these people are wanting to know, you know, what I want, what my goals are, you know, what I want to be in this life. So it all started to come out like, you know, my values are my culture, my family, my health, which was a huge one. And, you know, what pushed me when I wanted to give up was definitely those three values, my you know, my family, culture and health. So that really broke it down to who I wanted to be, was inspire others. And so you got you went over to New York? I, I made the cut, went to New York, but first we had we had different camps throughout the year. So we had a camp at the AIS in Canberra to meet the squad and meet, you know, Rob DeCostella and find out what it was all about. We, we, we found out that it was, you know, it was a program to create role models in our community to, to drop this stigma of drugs and alcohol within Aboriginal people because that's not what we're about. It's something that's just come up over the, you know, last couple of hundred years and it's really just, it's killed our people, you know, because our people are prone to these chronic illnesses more so than you know, other, other nations, people. And it's sad too. So that's something that I really, it hit, hit home for me and it really got into my heart. And I was like, yeah, we actually need a change because uh, we've got limited role models coming through the ranks. And I, I'm one of these people. And I suppose that really built the nuts and bolts within the group that made the squad. And we actually were on this mission, like we've- Raise awareness and we've make been, a difference. We've been selected like yeah. to- to go to New York and run this marathon and we need to, we need to get together as a, a team and it just got really strong. So we had about three or four meets throughout the year. Canberra was one of them. Gold Coast Marathon was the next where we run the half marathon and City to Surf in Bondi Beach was the next. Were you, you training a lot every week? To- oh, I went cold turkey, mate. I, I quit everything. I uh, stopped taking drugs, stopped drinking alcohol. I went cold turkey and we got given a training program and, and whatnot, and I was like, this is it. How did you feel sort of mentally and physically with those changes? It was very, very different because, you know, I was around people that were still partying and people that didn't really understand the journey at the time, so I had a few mates just stand back and go, what are you trying to prove? This is different. <laughs> you know, like, where's the old Jack going? I'm like, nah, boys, you know. It was a temptation there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still lived out of home with a mate that was partying every weekend, you know, and I was in, in bed at eight o'clock at night reading books and stuff. So my life just changed, like, just a whole back. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice 
based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. Flip. And did you ever sort of have that fear of missing out? You know, when you, you speak oh. to guys that are trying, they're trying to move away from the partying lifestyle, but they still have so much temptation and the fear of missing out and they just get sucked back in. 100%. That was there, mate. It was. How did you combat that? I combated it with my values. When it crossed my mind, I'd say, hang on, Jack, what mission are you on here? And I'd go back to, you know, the books and then. You know, I'd go back to my values and go, no, you're going to New York in seven months. Family, culture, health. You can't be a hypocrite right now. You've got you to step up to the plate. This is, it. It's now. It's now and ever. And that's what I'd go back to them, values, constantly. Values, values, values. And I'd isolate myself from that situation straight away. As soon as it comes on, I'd be like, go and train. Or, you know, go and find a spot where I'm away from it or people that aren't doing that. You know what I mean? So that was the main thing. Words of wisdom. I think there's a lot of people that have found or are probably at right now finding themselves in a similar situation to that. Oh. And it can be challenging. Man, it's... Because you know, you're a product of your environment. Yeah, that's right. And if you want to stay in that environment, change your behavior. You've got to be so strong mentally. It's, yeah. And I think you just nailed it right there. You, you're a product of your environment. You are the company you keep. And... You know, you hang around these people that are drinking, you're going to be drinking as well. Did your friends start to sort of, after a little while, did they start to understand and then become a bit supportive of your new journey? They did. They, they did to, to a point, but they were still, you know, in their little, in their little ways and they were still rocking on, mm. but they, they started to understand what, where I was going with it. And no doubt, like a lot of it would have been coming from them remembering and thinking about how much fun they have with you when they're out and about. So it's not, exactly. like a, it's not that they're trying uh, intentionally to take you off course. It's, it's just that they're thinking about the fun that could be had. <laughs> That's right. Well, I was one of the blokes to, I was one of the go-to blokes to have the good vibes, you know? So... <laughs> Now you're spreading the good vibes in a slightly different way. Yeah, that's it. That's right. And, you know, the, every time I spent with them, was it was either drinking or going out. So that's the only time we really had the fun and the laughs. So I think that's what we were craving the most. Yeah, the boys, they stood back. They stood back and I appreciate that and mm. they respected me. So are you still able to sort of connect with those those guys now in, in terms of not having, I guess, not as not not – 
as much in common, but not being able to sort of drink as much with them. Are you still able to connect outside of that? Yes and no. I mean, it's definitely not the same vibes going out and drinking and being, you know, a rat bag and having a good time. But, you know, we still hang out, have a feed and whatnot. But I mean, I suppose I think the best thing I'm trying to do is lead by example. Because I know, you know, everyone wants to change and feel better and break, break away from bad habits as well. So I just continue to do my thing. I don't really, you know, nag them on it. I just lead by example. It's a great way. But I still have time for, you know, my mates as well. So you went to New York. You got through all these um, the marathons in Australia, the city to surf and one in Queensland and stuff. Yeah. What was New York like? New York was incredible. I feel like it was, you know, it was, it was a dream come true. I've only seen New York in videos and postcards. You know, the Big Apple, mate, it's very, it's one of the biggest city in, cities in the world and it's very popular, you know, for its, I suppose, billboards and big screens, Times Square. So being there was, was literally, you know, pretty much a dream. I had to p- pinch myself. Pretty different to far north Queensland. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And You must have got out in the city and just been looking around. <laughs> oh, just gobsmacked. You know, gobsmacked, eyes wide open, just yeah. looking around. Just, you know, people on a mission, mm. horns going off everywhere, taxis and ambulances cruising around. 60,000 people in the, in the New York Marathon itself, 2.5 million spectators along the way. Uh, running through the different boroughs, you know, running through Queens, running over the bridge, you know, uptown Manhattan, the Bronx, you know, it was into Central a Park. Huge, huge buzz around Mate, town. It's, it's unbelievable. You feel like a rock star out there. And were you, were you nervous or was it just like all based around having fun and enjoying the race? What was it like actually on the race day? Yeah, nerves were high. Nerves were high. Never run a has never run further than 32 kilometers. So that was the highest I got in training. And I had to do an extra 10 on that, you know, 42. So, and we were told that we're going to hit a wall out there. And everyone that's run a marathon will know about the, the dreaded wall. And they say, you know, that's one of, the, one of the tipping points where you're going to be tested in life. Have you ever heard of the dreaded wall? Yeah, I have. Take us through. Take us through where you felt. Yeah. Okay. So I hit the I hit the dreaded wall at thirty seven kilometers. In uh, prior to the thirty seven, you know, I was feeling amazing at thirty. You know, I was running along the left side, getting high fives. And once my Soaking hand got it all up. Once my hand got sore on that side, I was onto the next side, <laughs> high fives. My hand got sore then, and then I was just I was focused at this point. People yelling out. Go Jack Wilson from Australia. Because <laughs> you know, I had Jack Wilson across my chest. Yeah, that must have felt pretty cool. Oh, every person that yelled out, it would, it'd just be a, a rush of energy. And you'd be like, what? Let's go, champ. Come on, <laughs> let's go. And that went on. Like I got so many people that yelled out my name. And then uh, we got to 37 kilometers. I was running at a very, very, you know, solid pace. I was running at four, four minute. Four-minute tens. Yeah, that's solid. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so I was running on a three-hour three and 15 marathon. And I hit the wall, mate, uh, 37 Ks in. Was it pretty, like, instant? It's or? instant, yeah. It just, it hits you. And I must say that I, I did run into Pete Jacobs, a famous and very great athlete of Australia. A lot of people would know Pete Jacobs. He's an amazing triathlon runner. And he gave me a bit of a pep talk and he set me on my way. But when it hits you, mate, you honestly, you honestly just, you hit this rush straight to your head. You got nothing left in the tank. Your legs are full of lactic acid. Your lungs are hurting. They're screaming. Literally, your, your shoulders are aching. And I feel like you got to tap into, into your mindset and it just goes all mental after that. You pretty much got to tell your body, you know, there's no pain. You're not hurting. And then I went back to my values because I didn't want to stop. Like that was my goal was not to stop and was to push through. And I had on my left hand, I had the Aboriginal flag, the Australian flag drawn on with pen. And on the right side, I had my mum and dad's name as well. So 
I looked straight at them and that's, that's what kept me going. And that went on for, yeah, five more Ks. So you run into Central Park, mate. The screams get louder. The roars are just, they're just top note. They just get crazy, man. It tells you on a bit. It just gets you, gets you vibing hard. And funny enough, I got it to about a K out and I just got this rush of, you know, rush of energy. My lips started dropping. The emotion started coming out. I started to cry, but I just got this sprint out of nowhere and I sprinted about a K left of the race, crossed the finish line. And I had nothing left in the legs. Like people have seen marathon runners cross the line and they start to fall over and stumble. I felt that. You had the jelly legs. Had the jelly legs. <laughs> I was falling over. Seen my coach, Robbie DiCostello there and he come over, big hug, you know, give me a few solid words. I was just crying, mate. Tears of joy. And yeah, that was the, that was the goal all year. And I, I got to the end and conquered it, run a 314 marathon. God, that must have been at a moment where you just thought, well, that was, it was all worth it. That change in lifestyle and, and, and what would have felt at times as a big sacrifice must have felt like, yeah, I really made the most of this year. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. I think that was, you know, that was the goal, obviously, but what Rob also told us was the start lines at the end of the race, and that makes so much sense. You know, he said, harder the struggle, greater the reward. And it was all, it was X, Y, and Z from when I got selected to the finish line is what molded me as a human. And I suppose, you know, built that discipline and that vision and belief to what I wanted to be and the repetition after repetition, the early morning after early morning, you know, when that was done, when I crossed that line, I literally believed anything was possible, literally felt like Superman. I was like, if I can do that, what's next? You know? And you were, how old were you then? I was 21. 21. How old are you now? 25. 25. So from there to, to what we see now, what, what was your journey like? What did you go and do after the marathon? After the marathon, I, I left Townsville. I went to Hamilton Island in Beautiful. the Whit Sundays. Beautiful there, isn't it? Amazing. Turquoise water paradise living on the island that's when i found my love for calisthenics did you work on the island i did yeah yeah i was actually a buggy attendant i've been there and driven the buggy have you (laughs) i probably cleaned your buggy mate (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's good fun hamilton island if you're if you're visiting australia you need to go there yes it's one of a kind okay so you're working there and that's and so you you started calisthenics yeah i started my calisthenics journey so Calisthenics is functional body weight movement. Pretty much, you know, jumping, squatting, swinging, lunging, pull ups or push ups with the resistance of your own body and can build a amazing strength, as you already know that. And some people out there, and, you know, I just fell in love with it. And that's when I really got interested in Instagram as well and YouTube started to follow these athletes across the world. I started to get really fascinated on how they could do what they did. Yeah. It was really just, yeah, it just caught my eye and I just really got into following influences and all these. Who were some of the main ones that were inspiring you? Some of the main influences were definitely Greg Plitt. He was a big one. He was a fitness model, bodybuilding fitness, you know, athlete. Uh, another main one was Michael Vasquez. He's from the States and he's also a bodyweight enthusiast. And they were probably two of my favorite. And there was a few others out there that were doing it as well. Can't remember the names. And I was like, I want to be one of them people. I want to do that. So where, where in, in Hamilton Island did you go to, to do your training? I just found uh, one of the gyms there. They just had a, you know, a bar, pull-up bar in the gym and other train I'd do was just out on the grass looking over, yeah. you know, the ocean. And what could you do on day one when you sort of were inspired by this type of training? What could you do then? I could only do just basic push-ups, you know, uh, pushing for like a few clap push-ups, you know, uh, doing a bit of handstands against the wall. Pull-ups. Pull-ups, chin-ups, all the real basic so you stuff. You weren't doing muscle-ups and things nah, like that at the start? No, not at all. No, that was, that was one of my dreams was to do a muscle-up. So I was doing all the little you know, steps and the basics towards that. 
just off YouTube. I was yeah. learning off YouTube. And how long did did you stay in Hamilton Island for? I was there for a year, a year only. So not that long at all. I was getting island fever and it was getting itchy feet. So I went from there to Mount Isa to work in an underground mine, which was one you know extreme to the next. Yeah. <laughs> Working in a mine out there that you know was very. Is that a physical job? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was labouring actually. Yeah, okay. I was labouring, so I was working underground. You're still able to keep your training up as well while you were there? Yeah, yeah, I actually could, mate. I actually could. I, that was, you know, because I just got that fresh that fresh passion for calisthenics. I'd just do anything to train. Even though I was working 12-hour days, I was getting training in before work. I'd have to wake up at, you know, 4 o'clock, get an hour in before, get there, go down in the cage and go down underground. And then I'd be isolated from the world for 12 hours and not come up till about eight at night. Wow. So just to let people know, it's, uh, it's a mile underground, so 1.6 kilometers. Yeah. What was it like the first time you went down that far? Just a different world. It was like, what? There's tunnels down here. There's actually people working and there's massive machinery that are digging up lead and copper and ore and zinc. It's like, wow. Is it like a big open space down there or is it like tight tunnels? No, it's a big, big tunnels, mate. So massive tunnels. They've got massive dump trucks you know, that are bigger than houses driving down there, big dozers that are the size of you know, a house. Incredible. And they all drive like land cruisers down there, like utes. Yeah, wow. And you're like, what the hell? And there's workshops down there where they're working on you know, the vehicles and doing maintenance on you know, the trucks and whatnot. They got little smoko sheds where they go and have their food, and there's air cons down there. It's yeah, it's another world, and you can actually drive from that mine to a mine that's twenty k's away underground. <laughs> yeah. What sort of transpired from from I guess that time, which was only like a couple of years ago, really, right? mate? Not even long. It's three years ago. Yeah. yeah. So what between that and, and and ending up on Ninja Warrior? What did you get up to? And your training must have, you know, t- taken another, gone to another level. Yeah, I really excelled in this, like in this style, in this body weight area. My body just really agreed to it. My body was, my body and mindset loved it. I think I was a natural. I was somewhat a natural because as a kid growing up in the bush, I was climbing trees and swinging out of trees and, you know, scaling, scaling mango trees and whatnot. So I think Without it was in the blood. Know it. Knowing yeah. it, you were building this, yeah, this ninja body. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like I was a little ninja back then, <laughs> and I just, you know, I'd work on myself, self development, an hour to three hours every day, whether it was reading or it was physical exercise. I was doing some sort of mental or physical development on myself every day. I was also researching flat out. I was fine because I, as I said, you know. Instilled that belief back in the marathon. So I started to really, you know, broaden my mind and see what I could really achieve and what I could find out about this, you know, this brain that we have. You know, I spent a year in, in the mines, made a bit of money, done a Europe trip, you know, went over to Greece and done Croatia and Spain. So it was a sneaky little trip yeah, with yeah. the boys. And I moved to the Gold Coast after that. So my, my little calisthenics journey. Uh, amplified here on the Gold Coast. I met a I met a heap of boys that are involved in movement, uh, art art of motion, pursuit of movement. AMPM is a little little gym and movement culture they have here on the coast. Some people may have heard of it, and I feel like you know the product of your environment come into play. And I started to surround myself with these phenomenal athletes that were had the same mindset as myself. We just built together. We started training together every single day and I started to really, you know, grow, you know, in all aspects, like socially, you know, physically and mentally and our athleticism was just going through the roof with these people. And the culture here is all outdoors, you know, sun, beach. People are up at like 4 or 5 a.m. walking. It's crazy. Yeah, people are, people are getting theirs. People are up exercising, eating well. You know, the food here is great, cafes, restaurants and whatnot. Yeah. 
So wh- when did you start researching about your food and what, what, what sort of had you been eating? I guess we haven't touched much on that, but as a, as a kid and coming through these, you know, Hamilton Island and in the mines. And- just, you know, I was just eating a normal base diet that I thought was good, like a lot of sandwiches I used to eat. I used to eat a lot of pastas and I used to eat a lot of uh, rice and, and I used to, you know, drink a lot of tea though. Like tea was a big thing for me, like green tea and whatnot. But I mean, you know, I used to eat a lot of meat too, you know, fish, pork, chicken, whatnot. I was big on my, you know, bread and corn meat. I don't know if you heard of tin corn meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff because it was easy and convenient. Didn't really know the nutritional values of it. I just ate what I thought was good that I grew up and what I learned. And how has that sort of developed and at what time in your life did you start to look at it in, you know, and read up on it and look at it in a bit more detail? I suppose I only really started properly last year to find out, you know, what what could bring me to a high level of performance and what could what could uh fuel me better and what could make me a better version of myself, you know, throughout, you know, my my nutrition and whether it was mentally like thinking wise or what who I was hanging around. And I think nutrition just come into play last year. You know, specifically what changes have you made to how you eat? I have recently just gone, you know, vegan. So that was on 2018 in January. So this year. So, you know, not too long ago, not even a year. So that's something that that's changed in my life. How, How have you felt doing making that change? Oh man, amazing. Like really, really great. I think it was just uh, something that I wanted to try. It was an experiment. You know, I heard a lot about it, but I'd hear, you know, a bit of criticism here, then I'd hear good things. So I was like, bugger this, I'm going to do my own research. Watched a few docos, what the health fed up, you know, a few of the main ones that you'd know about. Then I started to do my own research on vegan athletes as well. Because I'm at a stage in my life where, you know, I've got some big goals and there's something that I want to achieve and I want to perform it the best I can. And I actually got lined up with this guy named Drew and Dawn. Shout out to you, brother. He got me on my my uh, vegan journey. And this dude just knew his stuff, man. He, he'd just break down, you know, every single, you know, nutrient, every single bit of food and he'd tell you the benefits, what it can do for you. He'd talk about an apple skin for about an hour. I'd be like, come on, brother. <laughs> That's enough now, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he kick-started that journey for me. And, you know, I love him to bits for that. And we're really good friends to this day. And, I mean, I haven't felt this great in my whole life. I'm at the peak of my condition. I'm, I'm still searching for more, you know, for, for ideas and experiments, what I can do in the kitchen with veganism, you know. Never ending. It's never ending. What what do your family um, think about this change in your in your lifestyle? Because I mean, I mean, fish and, and meat and stuff is a fair bit of you know the, the Aboriginal culture. That's Adrian. right. So is it is it a bit of a shock? It is. Yeah, they think I'm mad. Yeah. They think I'm uh, crazy, actually. And I believe that you know our people are hunter and gatherers, and you know they hunted their food in, a, in its natural state, yeah. and they they hunted to to survive. I just think that the way it's been. It's, it's become so much a, a money, you know, maker and, you know, how it's, it's all getting, you know, chemicals and hormones and whatnot. It's, I just don't think it's in its natural state anymore. But my brother also had ulcerative colitis. Have you heard of this disease? I have, yeah. So he had that uh, three years ago. So he got his large colon removed and he was on his deathbed. So he nearly lost his life. He lost 40 kilos. He was in hospital. 45 kilos, he lost, you know, he was down from 80. Mm. And uh, that was very hard to see and we, we didn't know what the problem was. And he survived, thank God. You know, he's got a nice scar in his, in his belly now and he's running off his, his little intestine. So that's what sort of kick-started that, you know, that little journey for him as well. And he's plant-based also. But... I feel, you know, that the meat and the dairy could have something to do with it because mm. I don't think they're really putting a finger on it, whether they're telling us or not, I'm not sure. But we do know that it's it's inflaming our stomachs, don't we? Exactly. So you've you've changed your diet, you you're feeling amazing. Tell us how you ended up on Ninja Warrior. 
the Ninja Warrior. So <laughs> how I ended up flying across everybody's screens yeah. in a pair of budgie smugglers, yeah, just great. quietly. Yeah. So if you haven't, if you're not from Australia and you haven't seen Jack, just Google Jack Wilson Ninja Warrior and you can see his outfit he wears. <laughs> yeah. Doing it in style. And, and, and the painting. Yeah. With the ochre. Yeah. The Australian ochre. So you'll see me on there, guys. But that journey started 2016. I was actually on a job site swinging a hammer, you know, uh, hiding from the boss as usual, uh, flicking through Facebook, actually. Floating under the radar. Yeah, under the radars. <laughs> <laughs> flicking through Facebook and come across a Ninja Warrior ad, Apply Within, first season in Australia. So Facebook come in handy for once in its life. And I applied right then and there on the job site, done the application. It was so long, it took me about three hours to do. It was asking me all these questions again. What are your values? You know, what do you stand for? What pushes you when you wanted to give up? I was thinking, I've heard these before, <laughs> you know, and that sort of opened my mind. Round two. Round two. Same thing, brother. I led on with that same strong message of, you know, raising the awareness for our health and our people. And I wanted to uh, instill a belief and vision into others through, you know, my time on Ninja Warrior. Done the application, got the call up about two weeks later, made the audition in Brisbane, had to drive up, you know, an hour up the coast to, uh, to do the audition. And one of the key questions in that application was, we encourage you to wear a costume. And the first thing that went to my head was ding, 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 ding. Budgie smugglers. And I just loved to wear my budgie smugglers. This wasn't for a marketing strategy. It wasn't a collaboration with budgie smugglers. This was something that I just wanted to do for a laugh, but also for educational reasons because it it had the Aboriginal flag on the bum. And I said to my mum, they're encouraging us to wear a costume. And she goes, you're going to wear your budgie smugglers, aren't you? <laughs> she knew. She knew. And I went, yeah, you, you know. She goes, you're mad, boy. And, oh, well, mum, this is, this is it. You know, I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to educate a few people along the way. And I'm going to do it painted up traditionally with the ochre paint, which is used, you know, in ceremonies and in celebrating Indigenous culture and dance. You know, I went up to the, the audition and, and there, there I was. Were you worried about them falling off at all? Yeah. Yeah. That- I mean, I've got to ask that because I'm sure there's a lot of people that have watched thinking, Jesus, he's brave. <laughs> he's brave. Mate, that was definitely a concern. <laughs> that was definitely a concern. Anything could have happened out there. <laughs> you know, and if, if that was to happen. So be it. So be it, mate. But it didn't, thank God. But I'm sure people were using their imagination anyway. <laughs> Uh, so you got up there, and and what was what were the initial reactions to you walking in with the budgie smugglers on? Yeah, well, there is some, there is a bit of a funny story to that. I actually walked into the studio, and I got my number, and they got my name, and the lady behind the counter goes, "What's your name?" I said, "Jack Wilson." She goes, "Hmm, Jack Wilson. That sounds like a like a famous household name." And I was like, "Get out of here! <laughs> Come on." Oh, thank you, you know, and took it as a compliment. And anyway, life went on after that. And they called me in, like, you know, Joe, Sally, um, Jacob, you know, Christina, Jack, come in. You, you're about to do your, your fitness protocol. So we had to do a fitness test before we, you know, got selected. And we had all the producers, uh, all their cameras and laptops all set up across the room watching everybody. And we had to do a five-minute plank. We had to do five minutes of a burpee to a pull-up. We had to do five minutes of a dead hang, of hanging on the bar, and then five minutes of skipping. So it was a solid workout. Yeah. And they said, okay, everybody, is everybody comfortable with, with this? And everyone's like, yep, all good. All the boys had their shirts off. I had my shirt off, had my pants on still. And they said, does anybody have any more questions? And at this point, this was a this was a – a barrier for me because I was stepping outside my comfort zone. I was about to drop the dax, you know. And and, and, but you had the paint. You had the paint on. I didn't have the paint oh, on. You didn't have point. the paint on. No. Yeah. And I said, I've got a question. And everybody turned around 
And they said, yeah, what is it, mate? And I said, I've got my costume here, but I don't know if it's appropriate with all the, with all the ladies in the room because we had ladies on the panel, all the producers, and all their little heads popped out behind the screen. They're like, what is it? And I just uh, said, oh, well, I've got, a, got my budgie smugglers on under the, under the shorts here. They're like, what do you mean? So <laughs> I was like, oh, well, this is it. The Dax just went straight down and all the boys just went, oh, what the? They all stood back and all the ladies looked over me with a big smile on their face. Thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Confirming the, uh, the decision. Just giving it, a, yeah. Yeah, giving it a thumbs up and the green light. And I'd done the whole fitness test in the budgies, mate. So, yeah, that's when it all started. And the rest is history. And you've embraced it ever since. And I've embraced it ever since. How did the, you, you obviously excelled in the, in the fitness test. Yeah, done really well. Absolutely nailed it. But called in after the, the test and, you know, went through the process to, to make the squad. You know, the, the 250 ninjas that make the, make the show out of a 1,000. So I got, got lucky, missed the cull. So I made it on the show for season one. And going into that first show, did you need to up your training? Were you given a bit of an indication as to the types of ninja sort of obstacles or challenges that you were going to face? Oh, well, this goes back to the mindset thing all in. I just thought to myself, well, this, this is another scenario like the marathon. I'm going, you know, all in, no more bets. Let's go champ. So that mindset clicked in again, that heart clicked in again. Let's do this for, for our people. Let's do this for, you know, indigenous culture. Let's do this, you know, for education, you know, to educate, educate people, not just go out there and have a, you know, have a good time on the obstacle and say, I'm here just for fun. I wanted to go in with a strong message Really, just capture the imagination and of Australia. Just go, wow, this guy—he means business. He's not here just for the course. He's here to, you know, share a strong, positive message. They didn't give us any indication of what type of obstacles to train for. We had to do all our research. So I just looked on YouTube what I had to do, what the previous shows on America were doing. So obviously, a lot of grip strength, a lot of hanging, a lot of swinging and jumping a lot of trampoline work. I just stuck to my bread and butter as well, which was calisthenics. All the body weight goes hand in hand, yeah. the natural movement. Yeah, it so, seems to be a lot of calisthenics and also rock climbers, right? Yeah. So seem to excel. The rock climbers are very, very powerful competitors. So, you know, they're fluent. They're like monkeys. They got their body weight in, the, in their fingertips. Strength. Yeah. So, so how did you go on the first, first um, series? Done really well. I uh, got to the grand final top four. So I was very, very proud of, of that achievement. I was happy just to, to stand on the podium at, at the heats. And you were spreading your message, as you just said. Exactly right. In a big way. In a big way. Because, I mean, to an extent, I know from, from, from when I was watching, you were you know, the main face of the show almost. Since yeah. The personality that was coming out. Yeah, that's right. I, I got the cover boy yeah. as well. So I got, you know, got the face. It was really a, a godsend, you know, for them and myself to the way they portrayed me and the way I presented myself, you know, with the ochre and spreading that, that message of, you know, inspiring others, Indigenous and non-Indigenous for, you know, all great reasons, health, well-being. And I think it just, it's a real show to inspire younger kids as well because it's such a family-orientated show and they're going to be the future as well. And that just blew me away to be a part, to be a part of it and especially be the face of it. I just couldn't believe it. So was, that, was that like when you realised that, hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm now a role model? Yeah. I got a, People I got, are looking up to me. I've got responsibilities now. I've got a massive responsibility. I I'm just not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for, you know, these young kids across Australia that are like, I want to be Jack Wilson. You know, getting messages, you know, anonymously, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram from people I don't even know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of messages saying, you know, wow, you're amazing. Inspired me. Thank you for, thank you for inspiring my kids, getting videos of little kids in their lounge rooms in a pair of budgie smugglers jumping from, <laughs> you know, couch to couch, pillow to pillow. Yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. It was crazy. Yeah, and you know, no doubt, some of those kids one day will probably be on a, a podcast show somewhere and talking about what inspired them to start their journey. Yeah, you'll be a part of that. 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I think that's what I'm looking at. Hey, I've got a marathoner's pace on me. So I'm feeling like life is like a marathon and I'm thinking about the distance. I'm not thinking about the sprint. I want to, you know, build this community and build, build little Jack Wilsons across the country to believe anything's possible in their lives in whatever their expertise or whatever their focus is. At the end of that first, um, first series, the first of, series, of Australian yes. Ninja Warrior, it was a huge success. So no doubt you knew that there was most likely going to be a second series. Yeah. And were you sort of, you know, made aware that you'd be on that pretty much straight away? Yeah. Like the job wasn't done. It's still unconquered. So there's no finisher, unfortunately. You know, a lot of Australians are unhappy about that, but it's just the way the, the show goes. It's not an easy task. Season two come around, I was sure to be on it again. I had to be. I wanted to be. I wanted to get on that, you know, get on that course and, and tackle it. And I done really well for season two also. Got to another grand finalist year. So I got to the end as well. And that was that was next level. They they brought the heat. The 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 course got harder. You know, the competitors were stronger. So everyone's knew about the Everyone show. Had been away training hard. Training man, they want to, they want to be first, be first Australian ninja warrior. So it was good to see. Still hoping to to finish that course. I am. It's still unconquered again. Nobody finished it season two. Nobody got close. Are, are people finishing it overseas? Yeah, only a handful of people. I think three people have climbed Mount Midoriyama. So Mount Midoriyama is the final stage, which is the rope. 30 meters high, you got to climb it in 30 seconds, under 30 seconds, sorry. And an American guy climbed it after seven seasons. It took, wow. it took them. Yeah. And he won a million bucks. That's something you practice, that 30 second climb on the. I have been now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. So if you get there, you can. Oh, that's, I know I can do the course, yeah. but if I get there, I know I can climb it. So that's what's changed huge. Yeah. A huge amount. I, I look forward to season three. As yes, I'm sure. All of Australia does. Back to the community work. Talking about you know influencing young kids. What are you doing now? I I can see on social media you're getting out amongst the community, right in there. You know, down at yeah. the ground level. What What are you doing? And you know, it just it must be very very self fulfilling for you to be able to get get in there at that community level. Yeah, man. It's it's something that's so special to me, and it's something that gives me unlimited energy. I've got energy that I've never felt before. You know, I can just perform and I can, you know, think at a higher level now since I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the people. And I feel like when you've got that, you know, that uh, intention to help others, you'll get that as well. And to get out to ground level and to the grassroots where it is most needed, that's something that I'm I'm really passionate about, man, because, you know, there's kids out there that are underprivileged, you know, they don't have families, they don't have, you know, role models. So I want to be that guy and I want to get back out to the community and, and walk the walk, not just talk it, you know, I want to walk it and I, I suppose lead by example. And when I go out to these communities, you know, I've got little toddlers running up to me, you know, going, oh, Jack Wilson, Jack Wilson, you're deadly, brother, you're deadly, like. It's like, wow, this is crazy. You know, people getting my autograph, people wanting photos, kids just, you know, coming up and hugging me. It's, uh, it's something that is beyond my, you know, wildest dreams, but it's something that I'm really enjoying and I'm loving it. So is that what you're, are you doing that sort of full time now along with training or are you still doing other work? How are you sort of making it? No, so I'm doing this full time now. Yeah, so awesome. You know, I'm, I'm off the tools and I'm actually traveling and working with communities and schools, youth detention centres full-time. So I've, I've had to drop everything else and really focus on, on me and, you know, these engagements, which is something that I just really didn't ever think was possible. You know, you know that old saying, they say, you never work a day in your life if you do what you love. And I really can say that's, that's a true saying because that's how I'm living right now. Yeah, and I think that stemmed back to when you went through that phase with the 
the alcohol and the drugs and then you've come out the other side with a really positive mindset when you when you are positive and you're radiating that positivity and you're living with purpose the more opportunities naturally just open up brother you're you're 100 right i've never heard truer words and that can go straight into the law of attraction and the manifestation you know what you think about every single day you can really map out your world and your reality so that's something I'm really powerful with as well is the mantras, the positivity, you know, the visualization. You know, I like to see things in my head and then watch them roll out after it and go, wow, you just created that, you know, so. Pretty special. It is. It is the power of the mind. And that's what I want to teach kids also is follow the protocols and follow each step, you know, eat well, exercise, think positively. Be around good people that encourage you. You know, each day is a, is a single step, and you'll you'll make it up. You know, up the ladder, and repetition after repetition is the key. I believe. Perfectly said, mate. You are you're truly truly inspiring, and um, I'm just super pumped that you're you're now living in Bondi. So yes, a little bit closer to to watch your journey as it unfolds, both on and off the TV. So, mate, thanks for joining me on this episode. And I look forward to, you know, having you back on the show you know, in a year or so when so much more has transpired for you. Brother, it's, it's honestly an honor to be here to have a chat with you about this. I like to really uh, align myself with other human beings that are, are striving towards, you know, their goals as much as I am because I can see that and that, you know, motivates me as well. And I look forward to having you on my podcast one day. Yeah, brother. If Cheers. that happens. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.